Amen. Welcome again and good morning. And uh, hopefully you're doing better than you were 30 minutes ago. Uh, feeling alive in God. Um, my name is Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And um, again, if you're new with us, just a guess, we are so thankful that you're here. And my encouragement to you would be this. Uh, if you're a college student, a family, whatever, uh, is it whether it's this church, another church, but you'd actually be invested in the local church in this city. Uh, so don't be someone that actually just attends church. Be someone that's actually invested in church, which means you actually give of yourself. You give of yourself to the people. Uh, and so if you're visiting churches, that's great. I would just encourage you, find one and be all in, whether it's here or somewhere else. God's got some amazing churches um, in this city uh, that, by the way, Jesus is the head of all of them. So we all got the same CEO. All right. Um, now, the past uh, last week, we kicked off this series called Him and Them. And we'll be doing that today. And the next two weeks is a four-week series. And really, just, you know, our heart and our goal behind it is simply this. It's that, um, you know, when we understand that life is less about us and it's more about Him and them, then and only then will we actually experience the fullness of life that God has. When we realize and we understand that life is less about me and it's more about him and them, that's when we experience the abundant life that Jesus has promised. And so that's what we're talking about. We, and, and, and we kicked it off last week, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But I want to take you back to my senior year at Texas A&M. A, all you freshmen, don't be doing that. We're going to get you. Um, uh, but, you know, my senior at A&M, uh, there I was getting ready for my internship. And so I was in the construction science program, and, um, and we had to do a semester-long internship. And so you get ready for the big career fair that comes. And so all these recruiters come from different companies. And, and you know, it's kind of intimidating. If you've ever been to an A&M career fair, there's like, I don't know how many companies and booths, but these guys are all, like, dressed up sharp, and they're, like, sizing you up as you walk by. Wondering if they're going to, like, reach out and say hey to you, you know? And you're like, do I talk to them? Do they talk to me, you know? And so you're, you're kind of awkward, you, but, but you're all dressed up. You're ready to go. And you have a conversation. Hopefully you get a couple of interviews with some companies. And I remember one of my interviews was up in Kyle Field, the old Kyle Field, up in the press boxes, way up high, kind of intimidating. And there I am. I walk in. You see the football field. And there's these two guys sitting there, like, not smiling, by the way. <laughs> You know, this wasn't like the greeter team. These are like recruiters. They're like, is this guy going to make it or a company? You know, and this is construction. So, you know, a little more rough around the edges. And uh, so these guys are sitting there and I do my interview. And, you know, kind of an interview, you're second guessing yourself sometimes. I, I remember walking away thinking, did I say the word like too much? You know, like, I mean, did, 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 did I actually communicate what I want to communicate? Did I come across too strong? Did I come across kind of passive or did I even answer their questions and you're kind of a little insecure about it but all that said you go through the interview process and you're hoping within a couple of days that maybe you get a call back and someone says hey you are accepted now by the grace of God I got one of those calls yeah. and said hey you're accepted this internship by the way we're going to pay you minimum wage you're going to work like a dog but hey you got an internship right <laughs> That's what interns do. And so I got this internship, and I was so excited. You know, and you think about in our society, from the time you're born till the age of 22, for most of us, unless you're taking a lap or two or three, then, you know, these, these 22 years culminating into this opportunity to actually have a career potentially, right? All those math and science.
science classes and all those history lessons and you're going through fifth grade all the way through and you're thinking, oh, I've arrived, like I've made it, right? And mom and dad are like, yes, my little boy's finally got a job, you know? I mean, you kind of work towards this end. And so there I was getting this internship, so excited. But then, you know, a few months later, I actually showed up to this internship in January and uh, I was ready to go. I knew where I was going. I mentioned I had to park in the bus's spot. I think I got Starbucks. I got black coffee. Construction, you don't want to be too foo-foo. So just go straight black. No, I didn't even like black coffee, but just, you know, yeah, it's all black only. You know, just trying to, <laughs> trying to be the man there. And so I'm showing up to this job site. And um, anyways, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I show up. And honestly, I had this feeling and this question that all of us probably have on day one. Because if we're honest... None of us know what we're doing the first day of a job. It's almost like a throwaway. It's like, hey, I'm here. I'm ready to go. I'm even dressed up. I think the right way. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And you're thinking, now what? Right? Like, you got accepted. You got the job. You're in. And now the question is, well, now, you know, what do I do? I mean, I'm in. I'm now in the company. Now, last week, we kicked off this series talking about how our relationship with God was broken going back to the Garden of Eden. With Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, God created them. And the next thing you know, the serpent sneaks in and, and plays a little bit of word game with Eve. And she takes the bait. She eats from the, from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. And next thing you know, sin enters the, enters the world. And there's a broken relationship now is created between man and God and and, and, and you fast forward the story, and God eventually, his, 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 his complete ultimate rescue plan is his son Jesus coming to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice, to die on the cross, be risen from the grave, so we can be forgiven, set free. That's God's great rescue plan that happened 2,000 years ago. So now there's restoration available for every person, male, female, every tribe, tongue, every, every color, skin, every nationality, anyone that would call upon the name of Jesus, you can be saved. And so here you go, you have this great rescue plan in motion, and it's, and it's all coming from the place of God saying, I'm accepting you, but only through the adoption agency called Jesus. We're all adopted, by the way. Amen. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are adopted. You've been adopted by a heavenly father who said, my son Jesus is, your, is the way into this family. It's the way into this relationship. But you know, something happens just like day one of your job. <clears throat> something happens to us when we find our acceptance and freedom in Jesus. We have that question, now what? I, I remember when I was in Uganda the very first time, um, we had gone out doing mission works. We we're going out talking to people in the streets and, and I had met this guy and we tried to get a follow-up conversation with people. So I said, hey, I'll buy you a Coke later. And just seeing you know, in a foreign country, if you offer to buy a Coke, there's a good chance they're gonna show up. <clears throat> and so I offered to buy a Coke. This guy shows up, we're meeting in this restaurant and we're talking and, um, and I'm trying to explain the gospel to him and just what's it look like to be saved and then, and then actually live in the kingdom of God. And you know, his English was, was, was not very good and, and I could not speak a lick of his. And so, um, so there we are and I decided take these two Coke bottles. And so I take them, put them right here and say, let me explain it to you like this. Jesus has made a way for you to enter through the gates of heaven, signified by these Coke bottles, right? And so there I am. I'm, I'm saying, hey, this is, you know, so you come here, you come to this point when you receive Jesus, everything he's done for you, 
You haven't earned any of it. When you received what he's done for you on the cross, guess what? You enter into heaven. You go right past the Coke bottles, and now you're in heaven. Isn't that great news? But I said, can I tell you something? A lot of people who, who receive Jesus, they actually stop at the gate. Man, I'm in. Punch my ticket. I'm in heaven. Isn't that great? Hey, guys, good to see you. I'm in now. <laughs> but, but the miss is that a lot of times people actually stop right there, the Coke bottles. Man, whew, I'm glad I'm not over there. But they stop walking. They stop moving forward. Or they have the question of, well, now what? <laughs> I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Now what do I do? Right? I mean, now what do I do? Well, to answer that question, we're going to go to the Old Testament here in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. And um, in, in chapter 29 is where I want you to turn to, just to set the stage here. At this point in time in Israel's history, they had been exiled to a place called Babylon, right? The Babylonian Empire. So they were exiled to Babylon. They had come in, they'd gotten conquered. So they're in Babylon. And Jeremiah 29 is a letter that the prophet Jeremiah is writing as he's hearing from God, writing to the elders and leaders of Israel that are in Babylon, that are in exile. He's writing a letter to them. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Let's pause there. He's writing to people who have been exiled, who have not been free to worship, not been free to do their own thing. They're living underneath a foreign dictator. And they get a letter from the prophet Jeremiah. Hey, when seven years is up, you guys are going home. Now that's exciting. That's something to be expectant about. And so I imagine at the time, they were probably getting pretty pumped up. It's like year 69, five months. We got seven months to go, people. We can endure anything, you know. Now, some people didn't believe him probably. But if you believe that you said, hey, there's an end coming. God is promising us, just like he's promised before, to set us free. He's going to set us free. He's going to return us back to our homeland. So here you have these people that they hear this promise, and then the following verses, on the back end of this promise of freedom, this is what it says in verse 11 through 13, a familiar passage for us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. We may have heard this passage many a times. Hey, the Lord has good things for you, right? For I know the plans I have for you. Like, we want to say that, and that's encouraging, and it's true. It is true. God has amazing plans and purposes for your life, which is why I can say every single person that's been created throughout history, there was a plan and a purpose put on their life. Like, God has value and worth on every single human being which is why we have value and worth for every single being, no matter where you're coming from. There is a worth on your life. And what the enemy wants to do is to actually tell you that actually you aren't worth anything. Right? Anyone that hears those voices, that is not from God, by the way. That is from the enemy. Anyone that says you are worthless, you are, no one cares about you. All those statements, which, by the way, I'm guessing half the room has heard that from somebody, a coach, a parent, a friend, or just from the enemy. Like You've heard that. Man, that's not true. God's heart is you matter. I sent my son for you so that you can be rescued. You can have life. You can be back in the family. Again, that is God's desire. 
So here it says, we have amazing plans for us. But back to this question of, I'm accepted. God has forgiven me. He set me free through Jesus. Now what do I do? The answer to the now what is this, to get to know him. So when I illustrated that thing to the guy in Uganda about walking to the Coke bottles, I said, hey man, you know this journey is? This is called living the kingdom life. The kingdom life is actually pursuing the king in relationship with him and getting to know him. If someone asks you the question, hey, what's the point of the Christian life? All these big philosophical questions, right? I got an answer for you. To be more like Jesus. By the way, he's the head, like Christian, like Christ. We want to be more like him. That's the goal. That's the desire. But you actually have to get to know him. It doesn't just come. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like marriage. You can actually get married, right? So my wife and I, we, on our wedding day, we took vows to each other. We said, I do. We made a covenant with one another and before God. We made a covenant right there in marriage. But you know what? You go on the honeymoon, you hang out, you get to know each other a little bit more. Next thing you know, year two years in your marriage, hey, we got this covenant, but all of a sudden things could start getting a little more distant, right? That happens in marriages sometimes where, no, no, we had this covenant, but I'm not really sure we're in relationship. You can have a covenant, but not experience relationship. Um, if you don't know that, just look at lots of marriages. You made a covenant, but you guys are like strangers. Or it can become, well, we're both house managers. We just kind of manage the house, manage the kids. That term is thrown around a lot in parenting. We're not really in love. We're not really committed. We're not really in relationship. We actually don't know you. Actually, my friends at work know me better than you know me. Even though we're in covenant, I'm not in covenant with them, but I'm in covenant here, but there's no relationship. It's the same thing with God. You can be accepted and pulled in the family of God, but not be working on the relationship. The goal has to be, we have to get to know him, to get to know him. Now, I want to break down these, these kind of three phrases we see here in Jeremiah 29, 12, because it's going to provide um, a little bit of a groundwork for us in regards to our desire to get to know God. And I would say that the first place you should start in your journey of getting to know God is to have a devotional life, a devotional life, meaning I will be clear that you should wake up in the morning and get to know him. If you think you'll get to know him over lunch, that probably won't happen often. Think you'll get to know him after your kids are in bed, you'll probably fall asleep. But getting to know him in the beginning of the day, I take the first fruits principle, which is I want to give God my best at the beginning of the day. My thoughts are actually the most fresh at the beginning of the day, not the end of the day. And I want to give God the first part of my day because I've got a whole day to live. And I want to make sure that I'm giving God priority in the morning to say, God, I need you to speak into my day. God, I need you to give clarity again through your word. God, I need to thank you that I'm alive today. I need to thank you that my kids slept last night. That's something to really celebrate, right? It's like you want to to wake up saying every morning as I am waking up before I eat breakfast, I am thanking him. I am honoring him. I'm getting my world shaped around who he is and his purposes. If I had some weird messed up dream, I'm taking that to him. I'm just, I'm coming to him in the morning. So when we talk about getting to know him, I would encourage you, the starting place for all of us should be having your own personal devotional life with him. And that's on you. It's not on anybody else. It's not on your roommates. It's not on anyone. It's not on God. It's not on friends. It's not on parenting, good or bad parenting. It's on you. Because you're an adult and you have a choice to make to actually pursue that relationship with him. So there's three things we're going to look at here that are actually all about us pursuing him. Just like in marriage, you actually have to pursue one another to have relationship. The covenant doesn't just make it happen for you. There's an action you have to take. So the first one we're going to look at is this, to call upon him. 
It says, if you call upon me, right? Now, this verb, call, in Hebrew is kara, which sounds like a battle cry. I like that. Kara! It's just, yeah. And it's like, what that means is to call, to proclaim, to read aloud. It's like to call upon the Lord. Kara! It's like, I am calling upon him. We need to understand that calling, that calling upon the name of the Lord is more involved than just a mere petition towards God. Petition to be like, God, can you please do this? Can you please do this? Can I have that? Can I, and you're, and you're petitioning God? No, no, no. Calling upon the Lord is more involved than that. We're going to look at a few places in the scriptures that use this phrasing, call upon, all right? And in fact, the phrase call upon the Lord is used 11 times throughout the entire Bible. So I'm going to look at three of them to give us a little deep understanding here to what does it mean to call upon the Lord. And again, it's kind of like when a doctor goes to a hospital, he's not checking on his patients just to say hello. Hi, guys. Here's some coffee. See ya. What's he doing? The doctor's going in to serve the patient. Let's take those stitches out. We need to monitor some things. We're going to diagnose some stuff. He's coming in to provide a service to help you. There's something action-oriented in it. It's not just a high-by relationship. So it's not just, hey, God, what's up? I'm here. Thanks again for letting me live the day. See ya. No, no. There's a more involved relationship that we're being called into. So one of the places it talks about this is in Genesis 12. God says to Abraham... That to your offspring, he says, I will give the promised land. So Abraham hears this from God. And then it says, so then he built an altar. And it says, he calls upon the name of the Lord. God has an encounter. Abraham has an encounter with God. He speaks to him. You are going to be a blessing to be a blessing to others. Like you are blessed to be a blessing. Your generations got outnumbered the stars in the sky. And Abraham takes his encounter with God. He builds an altar to commemorate this moment. This, wow, I met God in this place. And then it says he calls upon the name of the Lord. I take that and looking at that to be that he then responded in a place of worship to God for meeting with him. We will oftentimes say that we are, we are going after an encounter with God in worship. We want to encounter his presence, his goodness. And I believe Abraham did there, and that was his response. So you see it in the realm of worship. You also see it in Zephaniah 3. It says this, For at the time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. In Zephaniah 3, it sees that there is a calling upon the name of the Lord connected to serving. Connected to serving God. And so another way to put it is when someone submits to the will of God, they are calling upon the name of the Lord. When you're getting underneath him, when you're there to actually serve him. In Acts 2, chapter 21, Peter is preaching to a crowd of people in the day of Pentecost, a very wild and crazy day. So there he is, and he's quoting the prophet Joel to these people that are all listening from different, from the nations that are all gathered in Jerusalem. And, it, and he says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord in a place of worship. Call upon the name of the Lord in a place of serving. Call upon the name of the Lord in a place of salvation. This calling upon God is acknowledging who he is and his character and his magnificence and what he's done. And you are going to him. I am here to serve you, Father. I'm here to worship you. You are the rock of my salvation. It is a more involved thing than just a text to God. Thinking of you, right? Happy birthday. No, no, no. It's you're showing up to the party with God, missing it up at the party. You're not tipping your hat that you remembered them. It is a worshipful response to God. 
So he says, you guys are going to come out of exile after 70 years. You're going to come back to the promised land. And this is what I'm telling you needs to happen. Call upon me, which means worship me, honor me, serve me. This is what God is asking of us. So when you start your morning, I'll give you the one, two, three. Start with calling upon him. Turn on the music. Open up the Psalms. Read aloud. March around your house or apartment. I don't really care. Do something that you are saying, God, I'm here for you. Here for you. Everything else, put it away. Guys, I've had to turn my phone off. It's distracting. Probably just for me. No one else. <laughs> you know, a little email here, a little news update. Oh, what's going on? That little weather app, little, oh, that's funny text, a little picture from a friend. Those are all cute, but they're all secondary. <laughs> but if we try to mix in, hey, I can have a little bit of God. Uh-uh. You know, in the Old Testament, guys, when the priest would come into the place, the temple, I mean, it was undistracted, undivided. There was nothing else hindering them. They actually washed their hands, made sure they were wearing the right deal. They were, they were focused. And it's, it's my time to go in there. You better be focused. You better be serious. None of this driving and just kind of, hey, God, I'm like, no, no, there's a place of focus. Now, here's the deal. He's asking us to walk with them throughout the day. But there has to be a place where we're giving undivided attention. If you don't believe me, try being married, go on a date with your wife while texting, keeping up with the game, and actually just talking to your buddies, and all of a sudden, you get done with that hour and a half dinner, you guys have talked for five minutes, she's going to feel real loved, right? If you've done that, you've probably been smacked, slapped, or something else has happened, because it's not a good date, right? So just for a freebie, if you're out to dinner with somebody, put the phone away, or go to dinner by yourself. Hi, it's me and my phone. That's cool. Do that, but don't pretend to be hanging out with someone. It's driving me crazy. I'm seeing families all over our city that go to dinner. Boy, girl, mom, dad. This is fun. Oh, that's funny. That's cute. Oh, food. Yeah. And then they leave. That's embarrassing for a family. What are you doing? It's like, we can't be doing that. You want to be salt and light? Actually engage in conversation with our humans. Wow, you must be a Christian. I know. (laughs) The Bible talks about it. Talking to people, loving each other, interacting, communication. This is how to be salt and light. Okay, back to this. Come and pray to him. (laughs) Sorry. Psalm 139, 22 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Guys, let me tell you, you can just write this one down and put it on the sticky note on your Bible. Wake up with your coffee and then say, all right, it's time to go over Psalm 139, 24 again. Search me, O God. Ooh, search me, O God. Know my heart. Okay, it's pretty wicked. Okay. I was, I was angry. Okay, I washed my shit. Okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, yes. Lord, I repent. I confess. Your times with God, when he says, come and pray to me, you know what prayer should start with? Confession. Oh, Lord, humbling myself. God, I confess. Man, I did that. And guys, sometimes it's not massive, you know? It's not like you need to conjure up something that's like this explosive sin thing that you've done. I would say the majority of time, it's that little white lie. You know, I saw him driving off in that car, and I just thought, I really hate my car and wish I had his. <laughs> God, teach me to be thankful for what I have. At least I have a car. Yeah, that's the right heart. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not massive deals. 
But we're going after a pure heart. Why? Because he says, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We don't want anything grievous, anything hindering us with God. So when we pray, we need to start with confession. And I would encourage you to take a moment in your time with the Lord in the morning. Take a moment and just get the journal out or whatever you want to do. And just say, God, is there anything I need to write down? I just want to listen to you. And it doesn't have to be for 40 minutes. It could be. It could be just for a couple minutes. Say, God, I just want to listen to you. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to be still, know that you're God. And I'm going to ask that as a good father, you speak to me and instruct me as your child. What do you want me to do, God? Because you know, that's who he is. Like a father always wants to have his sons and daughters' attention to listen. Because he has good things for him. He has good things for him. John 15, 4 through 6 says this, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a lot of abiding. What does that mean? That's a lot of remaining, a lot of dwelling. It means there's a lot of connectivity with him. It says, come and pray to me. That's called coming to Jesus and staying with him. It's not, hey, I'm here, and then I'm going to zip it. I got some things to do, some errands to run. I'm going to come back over here. When I'm talking about a devotional life, I'm not saying, Jesus, you got my full attention this morning, but then the rest of the day, I'm just going to totally go off my own and hope whatever I just filled up in the tank right there is going to last me to the end of the day. And if I run out, I'm not really sure what to do. I guess I'm going to wait until tomorrow morning. No. No, that is not the heart. You see, to bear fruit simply means to grow in character, in the character of Christ. To become more like Christ and reflect the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, goodness. It goes on, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. But the idea of a legal system of commands, which he, says, he just says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? The idea of a legal system of commands and punishment has no power to produce that kind of fruit. Meaning the only way to have that kind of fruit is, it's not fruit of the law, fruit of the Spirit. You actually have to be tethered to the Holy Spirit or fruit of relationship. You can call it that. There's a relationship going on. It's how that fruit's produced. What's that mean? It means coming to Jesus is including him throughout your day. Including him throughout your day. There's a friend of mine years ago told me, he said when he would wake up, he would he'd pull out his, I know we don't do day planners anymore, but some of you do, some of you don't. But okay, pull out, pull out your digital planner and he'd pull it out and he'd see he's got an appointment here, a meeting here, a lunch here, a soccer practice coaching here. He'd look at it in the morning, literally the first five minutes of every morning, he'd be with God, he would get with them and he'd say, all right, God, I need you to speak into this today. Here's what I've planned, but I need you to give me some clarity. So the Lord may say, cancel that. Or a lot of times he said the Lord would highlight a person to meet with, like this guy at lunch. And he'd say, hey, you need to ask him how his mom's doing. We'd have never known that. We just asked the Lord, Lord, would you speak to me about this lunch appointment? Ask him about his mom. Really? Okay. And he'd ask him about his mom. And next thing you know, there's breakthrough, there's healing, vulnerability. Guys, if we just simply just say, you know what? We're making plans. That's great. Are we including Jesus in those plans? Include him in your plans. Include him in your day. Go to class. Hey, I've got this class on Tuesdays. Okay. God, is there anything you want me to do to class? You know that guy six next to you? Just encourage him. You know that professor thinks everybody's against him? Go early and just say, man, thank you for teaching us. Thanks for taking the time to prepare for us. Yeah. You know how many professors get that? Get that where it's, where it's pure? Not, I'd like an A, so I'm going to go tell you how good you are. I mean, I don't want you to change my grade at all. I just want you to know that God sees you. I'm thankful for you. Thanks for teaching and bringing your excellence to work every day. Yeah. Wow, what a way to encourage someone.
But you may not know that if you don't include Jesus into your day. So we're supposed to call upon the name of the Lord. We're supposed to come and pray to him. And the last one is this, to seek him, to seek him through his word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you not sin? Have the word in your heart. How do you not wander away? You got to know the words. You don't wander away from his commandments. This is what we see in Psalm 119. It's about your heart engaging with the word, not just your mind. Did you know there's theologians that are not saved but know more about the Bible than you? Did you know you can actually know a lot about the Bible and a lot about God without knowing God? I've messed up with them. Like, wow, you're really smart. Tell me how Jesus changed your life. What? I mean, they, just, they don't have a clue because it's not a relationship. It's just academic for them. You have to move away. It stays academic if it stays here. But God wants both. He's not just after your heart either. He's after your whole being. So what's the solution for us to live a pure life in business and relationships with money? How do you know what to do and how to do it? The solution is to seek God in his word, to seek God in his word. But it's not just reading the word of God that's going to do it. It's actually applying it. We can all read it like a good novel, but actually obeying it is a little trickier. You know, um, Sometimes we get stuck on making decisions in life, all right? But let me encourage you with this. If you'll just pull out your Bible glasses, right? You say, hey, I don't know what to do. My roommates are really frustrated, angry at me right now. I'm not really sure what to do now. You know, what do I do? Oh, wait, God's word says something about that. You know, humble yourself, repent, seek forgiveness, deal with it. Oh, thanks for the glasses, God, right? Now, I mean, if you operate in life like that, wow, my parent, my, my, my children right now are crazy, what do I, I have no idea what to do. It's like, put the Bible glasses on. Oh, wait, scripture talks about how children should be trained up in the Lord and what parents need to do. And, oh, thank you, God. You've already talked about it. Did you know God actually has an answer for everything you're asking about? Yeah. May not be the answer you want to hear. Yeah. Didn't say that. <laughs> right? He's just like, oh, man. Right? Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow and hard what leads to life. So guys, you receive Jesus, it ain't easy. Don't hear me say that it's easy, that it's all cool. It may be cool beans at times here at AM and in this town because there's lots of people following Jesus and we like that. But not everywhere is all all nice to you when you follow Jesus. <laughs> Just graduate and go somewhere else where there's not as many churches happening, you'll find out. Then you realize, well, the it's narrowed and it's hard, but it leads to life. Leads your life. Guys, I can't encourage you enough to get this in you. Do not be the statistic that says you're a biblically literate culture or generation. Don't be that. Know what the word says. Don't be so easily deceived. Eve was deceived because I, I, I'm not so sure she fully heard God because the serpent came to her and said, hey, didn't God say you can't eat from any tree? He's twisting the words on her. No. She communicated back, but there's something in her that was restless about it. Which was, no, he said he can eat from everything, but just not this one. Though she fully got it in there, I'm not so sure she would have bit on that, on that temptation. For us guys, we will bite on the wrong thing if we're not clear on what the right thing is. We have to get that into us. 
Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did you know that's impossible? That's impossible to do alone. It's impossible to obey all the commandments alone. Because he follows that statement up in John 14, 16 and 17. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not just when you're behaving. Not just when you're in college. Not just when everything's going well. He'll be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Remember earlier Jesus said, abide in me, dwelling, remaining with that same word here. The Holy Spirit is meant to dwell, to abide with us. Meaning this, God has pursued relationship with us. And the bottom line question is, what do we do on the other end of now what? Is will we pursue him back? Will we pursue him back? Just like in marriage, the marriage only works out if both are pursuing each other. I want to stand as we close today. I have the band coming up. You know, as I was just going over this this week, it just reminded me again of how simple God has made it. He's, he's made a way. And even here in Jeremiah 29 to his people returning from exile who've already gained freedom, he says, if you'll just call upon me, if you'll come and pray to me, if you'll seek me, man, you're going to experience these good plans, these good purposes. You're going to have hope restored in your life. So just with fresh pair of eyes, I want to read this passage again to us as we close today. It says, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. The final step in all of this, the final catch is you got to give him everything. That's what he's asking. To experience the full relationship with God, you can't, you can't hold back. You can't hide. You got to give him everything. Jesus actually responded to someone's question when they were asked. Uh, he was asked, he said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And in Mark 12, 30, 31, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength to love your neighbor as yourself. What he was saying then was, you know how to experience full, abundant, obedient life is when you love him and love them, you'll get taken care of. When it's about him and them, and then I'm third in that equation, all of a sudden that's where I experience life. There isn't life when you just consider yourself first. It's not how God made you. He wired you so that when you exalted him and gave him first place and others second, yourself third, that's when you experience real fruit. Here's where we're going to end today. Usually we have prayer teams up here, but we're going to hold off on that today. I just want everyone to respond individually right now. As the team just plays a worship song, I just want us to respond to God with simply asking this question. God, is there anything in me, anything that is hindering my getting to know you? Is there anything in me that's hindering my relationship with you, God? Because I want to be free and clear of that. Just want to take time to respond to that. You can talk to God. You can ask him. You can pray. He'll actually speak to you. It may not be an audible voice. It may just be something in your heart. You just kind of know, okay, yeah, that's God. I think that's God. Or you highlight the scripture maybe to you. That's God wanting to speak to you this morning. It says that a sheep, the sheep will know his voice. You know the voice of the shepherd. So this morning, that's what we want to do. We just want to end by just saying, God, anything in me, remove it from me, Lord. And then, God, I pray that you would 
not only remove those hindrances from us, Lord, but that you would also just put a fresh vision on us for getting to know you. That we won't enter the gates of, of the kingdom of God and then go two miles and stop because we're bored, because we're tired, because we thought we figured it out. That we won't get saved and then all of a sudden we just kind of stay there. But no, Lord, that it's, it's constantly, we're constantly walking with you, moving towards you, getting to know you every day, every morning. But that's who we are as a people. Help us, Lord. Help us to love you and obey you. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We can't do it alone. Come and meet with us in Jesus' name.